there's certain uh, days in history where people often talk about, you know, where were you on that day? So for people of a certain generation, it was uh, where were you when you heard JFK got shot? Uh, for people of my generation, it's often, where were you when you heard about 9-11 or something like that? Well, the book of Judges starts with one of those sort of cataclysmic, where were you when moments for the people of Israel. Uh, it starts with what really is like a level 10 earthquake for Israel. Just look at verse 1. Those words, after the death of Joshua. Now, we don't get, I don't think, and I don't actually think it's possible in our world today to get uh, just what a massive statement that is, because unfortunately, there are very few great leaders in the world today. Uh, there's all sorts of reasons for that, I think. Uh, maybe we get the leaders we deserve. Maybe that's for a sermon another day. But uh, we just don't get it, because I don't think we would ever think what a great loss if we lost one of the current world's political leaders. Uh, you see, in, in England, Winston Churchill, who was the Prime Minister during the Second World War, when he died, millions of people lined the streets of London. People who never voted for him lined the streets of London. You know, the people who voted him out of office lined the streets of London because they so deeply respected him as a leader that they recognised to lose, we're losing something great. It's hard to see that happening today, isn't it? Well, that was Joshua to Israel. I, I think Moses is the, indisputably the greatest man of the Old Testament. Uh, Moses is the greatest. I think Joshua is the second greatest hero of the Old Testament. That's how important he is. He's far more impressive than King David, far more impressive than Abraham. Uh, Joshua had faithfully followed God and led Israel into the Promised Land. He had led them into battle. He'd led them defeating all their enemies, uh, God's enemies. Joshua was just a great leader. But a downside of great leaders can be when they leave, when they go, there's a vacuum. There's no one who can take their place and everyone else is compared to them and there's, there's no one to fill the gap. You see it in politics all the time. You see it in churches, actually, when, when strong ministers or strong pastors move on. Uh, often people just, you know, oh, whoever comes, they can't replace our, our loved leader. So these opening words are massive. After the death of Joshua. And so you're meant to ask, as we start looking at this book, well, what is going to happen now? Will Israel turn away from God? Or will they keep following God and keep being faithful and keep doing what God wants them to do? Now, as we look at the whole book, we're going to see that, sadly, the answer is far more negative than positive. Uh, after today's sermon, we're going to get a lot more learn from what they didn't do lessons rather than learn from what they did do lessons. But as the book starts, it starts well. It's positive. And I want us to think a little bit about why. What was it they did? What were the things they did? That made it go well. And I've drawn out four reasons in these verses, uh, and I want us to look at each in turn. They're printed on your outline. The first is they remembered who their real leader was. So look at the rest of verse one. It says, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites inquired of the Lord, who will be the first to fight for us against the Canaanites. If you know your Old Testament well, you know what a strange verse that is. Because normally it would read, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites searched around and found a really bad leader to take over. That's sort of the history of the Old Testament. See, right from the start, we see there's hope after Joshua because they did not put their trust first and foremost in a human leader. They recognized God is our king. God is our ruler. God's the one we follow. So they didn't try and come up with a way to find a and say, who's our best fighter? Let's pick him. Let's get Joshua's son. Let's have a 
popularity contest, you know, who's got the most followers on Facebook or whatever. For once they got it right. The Israelites inquired of the Lord. They said, God, you've got to lead us. Now, we don't know how they did it. I think they probably prayed and a prophet spoke God's word to them. But the point is, they were recognizing that God was their leader. And so the way forward for God's people was, seek God's will and obey it. Now, sadly, that stops pretty quickly for them. But at this point, I think that's a real positive lesson for us, isn't it? So the first lesson I want us to learn from this chapter of the book of Judges is, do you want to know how to live? It's actually a very, very simple way to do it. Seek God's will and obey it. There's our first application. And you don't need a prophet because God has spoken once and for all in His Son and God has spoken through His Word, the Scriptures. So in the Scriptures, we have everything we need to seek God's will and live by it. See, we must always remember this. Christian leaders are really important. But I just went away for six weeks and did the church fall... Don't, actually, don't answer that question. Did the... Did you miss me? I hope you missed me. But, but you didn't need me. You don't need me. Christian leaders are important. God wants godly leaders for his people. But ultimately, you follow God, not man. And that is so important. You live by God's word, not mine. Because God's word is without error and infallible. My words are very fallible. Now, the second thing we need to see, the second reason things went well is related, and that is they kept obeying God. So they kept doing what God had called them to do. You see, God had given them a mission. What was the mission for God's people at that point? It was to drive the Canaanites out of the land and to take possession of it. That was the mission God had given them. So now straight away, Joshua dies. They don't go, oh, we can't do it anymore. They say, no, let's keep going. Let's do what God wants us to do. So they say, God, now that Joshua isn't leading us, tell us the next battle to fight. Tell us what we're meant to do next. And God answers them. Look at verse 2. The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have handed the land over to him. Now, Judah wasn't a person. Judah was a tribe, one of the 12 tribes. You see, God doesn't answer them with a new replacement leader of Joshua. This is really important. Now, God did directly what Joshua used to do. So God said, well, rather than give you a leader, I'll just tell you what to do. Tribe of Judah, go and take the land I promised was yours. That's what you should do. And they obey God and he gives them the victory. Just scan through the verses that we read before with all the funny names and all that sort of thing. And you see this, they were incredibly successful. They defeat the Canaanites, they defeat the Perizzites, they strike down 10,000 men in Bezek. You don't need to know where Bezek is to understand. They were winning. Kings and armies fall down before them and you can see how well it's going. You get to that little story about the marriage and the giving of the wells in the desert. Does that strike you as a bit strange? How they just sort of give you this little story in the middle? I'll tell you why they do that. I think, first of all, it's because it's history. You see, you've got to remember, this is the history of Israel. And so that is, they're sort of explaining for later generations, why does that family own all the wells in the desert? Well, that's why, because they were faithful to God there. But I think more than that, it's there to show us that they were being blessed, when they were faithful to God, when they listened to His Word and when they obeyed Him, God blessed them. They were able to get married, they were able to, 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 to have the wells that gave water so they could grow their crops. And so I think these little stories are included to show us these people who were faithfully following God were receiving His promises. They were receiving their place in the land and they were being blessed by God. 
But in all these stories about Judah's victories, there are two other reasons given for why they were so successful. Now, the first is, I think, a human reason, and it's this. They were unified. They fought together. So, do you see in verse 3 how Simeon helps Judah? And then in verse 17, Judah helps Simeon. So, we have to understand this. Humanly speaking, Israel was still pretty insignificant. Every other one of these nations was far more numerous than them. So, if the 12 tribes just tried to do it on their own, humanly speaking, there was no way they could win. It was only by working together as a nation that Joshua had brought them great victories. So now God says, you've got to keep working together. And I don't think this is the main point of the passage, but I think that's very relevant for us, the New Testament people of God. How much does God value the unity of His people, as you read the New Testament? And how important is the unity of God's people for ensuring that our mission succeeds? See, I think that's a really important point for us. But that's just an aside, because the next reason they were successful is far more important. It's because God was fighting for them. So look at verse 2. He says, I have handed the land over to him. Verse 4, the Lord handed the Canaanites and Perizzites over to them. Verse 17, the Lord was with Judah. See, if God is for you, then who can stand against you? That's what they were discovering. If we trust God and God is for us, then nothing is impossible. We win the victory. And for us, as New Testament believers, don't we know that even more? But our promise is not for physical blessing and our promise is not for earthly battle victories. Our promise is far greater than that. God has promised us that whatever happens, we have a place in His eternal kingdom. God has promised that nothing and no one can ever separate you from the love of Christ if you trust in Him. And that's why Paul says in Romans 8, that you are victorious. You are the winner. God says you are more than victorious in Christ because nothing can defeat you. And He doesn't mean you you, you can't be oppressed. He doesn't mean you can't be persecuted. He doesn't mean bad things can't happen to you. But what He means is nothing can separate you from the love of God if you are in Christ Jesus. See, that is our victory. And so very quickly, Israel is blessed. Firstly, because they remember who their real leader is, they seek after God's will. Secondly, they obey God's command and continue the work He has for them. Thirdly, they're unified. And fourthly, and sort of overriding all the other ones, because God is for them. So who on earth could be against them? Now at this point, I'm going to pause and I'm going to deal with a question, uh, because I'm sure there are some people here who are struggling with some of the violence that goes on, and it hasn't even started yet for the book of Judges, Uh, struggling with this whole holy war business. And modern people read their Bibles and they say, how can God tell them to go in and wipe out the Canaanites? How can God tell them to go in and kill all these people? Why can't they just let them live next door with their gods while they live here with their gods? And haven't they heard of tolerance? There's a few answers to that question. I'm going to give a couple. The first is, We have to remember, at this time, God was using His people to enact His judgment on the Canaanites. See, this was not just, I'm giving you the land and there's some random people in the way, exterminate them. They weren't innocents. The Canaanites were awfully immoral, pagan people 
who had harassed God's people for hundreds of years and had thumbed their noses at Yahweh. They had said, we've heard about Yahweh and we hate him. See, they weren't innocents. Just look at what God had said through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Have a look in your outline. I've printed it out there on the second column. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. When the Lord your God drives them out, that's the other nations, before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord brought me in to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. Instead, the Lord will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness. In case you missed it a bit further down. Instead, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness in order to keep the promise he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So it's pretty clear, isn't it? And in fact, while there weren't many, if you read through the book of Joshua and Judges and books like this, where individual Canaanites repented, where individual people from these nations said, we are turning away from our idols, we're repenting of our sin and we want to worship Yahweh, they were accepted into the people of God. There weren't many, but there's people like Rahab, you know the story of Rahab? who was included in the people of God and eventually became a, a, what's the opposite of descendant, an ancestor of Jesus, amazingly. And you know the funny thing is, it's only modern people who have qualms about this. The Canaanites knew it and accepted it. See, that's the point of that story of Adonai Bezek. You know that story where they cut his thumbs and toes off? And we go, how could they be so awful? to cut his thumbs and toes off, uh, and we go, that seems a bit harsh. He didn't think so. Look at what he says in verse 7. Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings where their thumbs and big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. See, Adonai Bezek saying, well, that's what I've done to every other king. And then he says, God has repaid me for what I have done. See, Adonai Bezek got it. He said, I backed the wrong God. I've been horrible and I'm getting what I deserve. He didn't cry, oh, that's unfair. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Here it's a toe for a toe and a thumb for a thumb. Adonai Bezek got that. He said, this is God's judgment on me. And I just want to flag here, please do not fall into that trap of standing in judgment over God. Please don't be people who read your Old Testament and, and try and give answers for God. God doesn't need you to apologise for him. God is just. God is fair. It's not our place to impose our quibbles on God and question him. God hates sin and he will judge it righteously and that's a lesson we need to learn in a world that ignores God and loves sin. But how does all this holy war idea fit in for us today? Because we hear the idea of holy war and we think terrorism and all sorts of awful things. How does it fit in with Jesus and forgiveness and love your enemy and, and, and all that sort of stuff? I actually think it fits really well. You see, what it does is it reminds us that our God is a God of justice. We all want justice. You see, we, we, we complain about God bringing justice, but then when a murderer goes to the law courts and they say, oh, you're going to have three years in jail, everyone's up in arms and says, that's not fair, that's not just. We know that evil deserves to be punished. We know that sin deserves to be punished. Well, this reminds us God will punish unrepentant sin. God will judge people who refuse to acknowledge him. But unlike Israel, at that point of God's plan... God has not given you and me 
the job of dispensing his judgment on the world. God has said, when Jesus returns, he will come back to judge the living and the dead. Now, I've given you a different job. And so what is our mission? Our mission is to offer forgiveness before the judgment. Our mission is to go and tell people, God has sent his son who has taken the punishment you deserve upon yourself. Find forgiveness before God judges. That's our job. And in fact, the New Testament tells us we are in a war. It's amazing how often the New Testament uses war imagery, but our weapons are not swords and spears. Our weapons are prayer and the Word of God and living such radical, loving, self-sacrificial lives that people say, I want to worship the God that they worship. That's our holy war. But there was a second reason that God demanded they drive out the Canaanites, and it was for their own sake, for their own holiness. So come with me again to the other passage from Deuteronomy I've put on your outline. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. God said, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess, and he drives out many nations before you, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and powerful than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you and you defeat them, you must completely destroy them, make no treaty with them, and show them no mercy, do not intermarry with them, do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. You see, they were enacting God's judgment, but they were also doing what they needed to do to make sure they kept following God. And it's pretty clear, if they let the Canaanites stay with their religions that encourage sexual immorality and debauchery and sacrifice children to their pagan idols, if they let the Canaanites stay and then they married one another and brought their idols into Israelite homes, pretty soon the Israelites would turn away from God. And that's actually the story of the rest of the book of Judges. And isn't that a lesson to us? Because here's the thing, we live amongst the Canaanites. We live in a world where most people worship idols. They're just not Baals and Ashtoreths, they're the idols of self and the idols of pleasure and the idols of whatever else we substitute for God in our modern world. And how easy is it to let the world's idols into our homes. You see, we are in this world to be a light, to be a witness, and yet all too often, we let the world witness to us rather than we witness to the world. And sometimes we kid ourselves that we're doing this to influence the world when really it's us who are sliding away from God. Paul says to us very clearly in the New Testament, do not be yoked with unbelievers. See, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. That's what it is to be a Christian in this world. So do not tie yourself to this world and to the people of this world and the things of this world. You are here to influence them, not for them to influence you. And the rest of the book of Judges is going to be an abject lesson in what happens when they don't deal with the Canaanites, when they allow themselves to be yoked to unbelievers, but that's for the next few weeks. Well, as I finish... I just want to go back to the start of the passage, flick back to the first couple of verses of Judges chapter 1 again, because Israel really asked God a simple question, which is, who is going to lead us? Who's going to be our leader? 
And in fact, the rest of the book of Judges and then the rest of the Old Testament is about God's answer to that question. And they try all sorts of different things. They get about 20 different judges through this book. And in the end, they all end up failing. And then they get kings and they end up failing. But right here from the start, God just gives a hint of who the real leader will be, who God's people need to follow if they really want to be blessed. And it's there in verse 2, where God answers, Judah, Judah is to go. Now, in one sense, that was an answer for then and there. I want the tribe of Judah to go and fight. But for people who know their Old Testament well, that answer should actually make you stop and think. My Old Testament lecturer at Moore College, Barry Webb, he called this one of those very pregnant verses of Scripture. Uh, it's a great image, isn't it? It's carrying a hidden baby. It, it carries more weight than you see at first. You see, way back at the start of the Bible, way back in the book of Genesis, Jacob had prophesied that of all his sons, it would be through Judah that God would save his people. It would be Judah who would lead God's people into blessing, to the fulfillment of all God's promises. You see, when God's promises are fulfilled once and for all, when not just Israel but the whole world will be blessed, it would be from the tribe of Judah that that leadership and blessing would come. But to this point, none of the leaders have come from Judah. So we know it can't be Moses, it can't be Joshua, because they're not from Judah. They can't be the ones who are going to bring God's blessing. And so when God says, Judah will lead you, it's just like one of those little flashing lights that reminds us, when the one comes who does bring the victory, he'll be from the tribe of Judah. And of course, eventually, King David comes from the tribe of Judah. And finally, at the end of the story, it's Jesus who comes. And what does Jesus get called? the lion of the tribe of Judah. See, even back here at the start of the story, there's a hint of where it's going to go. There's a hint of how God will bless His people and the world once and for all. And so as we close, I just want to say to you, if you want to remember who your real leader is, if you want to seek after God's will, where do you look? Don't look to me. Look to Judah. Look to Jesus. And if you want to obey God's command and continue the work He has for you, then follow Jesus. He is God's leader. And if you want to be unified, unite around Jesus. And the promise to us is, if Jesus is for us, then nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God. And so if we're going to ask God the question that they asked back then, who is going to fight for us against sin, against the world, against the devil, God answers... Jesus has already fought for you. Trust in him, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of Judges with all it teaches us, positive and negative, from the example of Israel. We thank you that even back then you were working towards the fulfilment of all your promises in Christ. And we pray that like them, we would not look to earthly leaders, we would not look to earthly wisdom to lead us, but instead we would le let you lead us by your word. But more than anything, we pray that we would follow the leader you have provided us, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.